What happens when a rapper teams up with a neuroscientist? You get a fascinating, entertaining, and educating workshop featuring married couple Dr. Heather Berlin, a leading neuroscientist and host of Star Talk All Stars with Neil deGrasse Tyson, and the PBS series Science Goes to the Movies, and science rapper and drama desk nominee Baba Brinkman. At our Ivy Creativity Masterclass, they explored how the brain processes improvisation and comedy, why it's hard to do math while rapping, and how your subconscious affects your daily life. During this workshop, you'll learn practical tips on how to be more creative, innovative, and revolutionary thinker. How's everybody feeling today? All right. My name is Baba Brinkman. I will introduce Dr. Heather Berlin shortly, but first I'd like to introduce myself uh, in the form of a rap song, which I wrote about my then three-month-old infant son uh, and the question of how conscious is he anyway? So uh, this one's, this goes out to the guy. His name is Dylan. <coughs> Resist his Jedi powers. You know the feeling when you're chilling like a villain, dealing with no stress, like a room with no ceiling, just open. And you like to rhyme illin' so much you name your first son Dylan. Well, that's the feeling I felt November 12th when I first held Dylan and fell under his spell. That was three days after the election from hell when the Trump cartel captured Winterfell. Yeah, remember that feeling when political discussions are just divisive and ugly and Twitter is busted and you're feeling just ill and disgusted? Y'all know that feeling? Well, Dylan doesn't. What's it like to be a human baby? Just a blooming, buzzing confusion, maybe? I look in his eyes and try to read his thoughts and find myself wondering whether he's got them or just sensations, chaotic and messy. I want to relate. Should I take some LSD so I can stop thinking and just exist? I mean, look at the kid. Ignorance is bliss. You know the feeling when you find the right words to express your thoughts, connect, and get heard? Y'all know that feeling? You know the feeling. Animals don't know, and neither does Dylan. You know the feeling of bladder control when you don't even go when you have to go? Who knows that feeling? Yeah, even dogs know that feeling, but not Dylan. Dylan doesn't know the feeling of regret or anticipation of future stress. Is he conscious? Yes, or maybe not just yet. There could be several different levels of consciousness. Does he have a subjective perspective? I guess so, but is it like a fish or like a gecko? I mean, the kid started out as a single cell like a year ago, and don't call it a miracle. Call it a triumph of modern medicine. Dylan was an excellent IVF specimen. I know because he's spent a month in a freezer so we can do research and check his genes first. Sometimes evolution needs a boost and it worked too. Uh, he's so cute. But when does he begin to be a mental self? I've seen a picture of him at a hundred cells and I wondered when does consciousness emerge at the paramecium level or nematode worm? I was still a proud dad though when the kid had gills and a tail like a tadpole. You know the feeling when you comprehend and solve a problem that was trying to box you Y'all know that feeling? You know the feeling. Animals don't though, and neither does Dylan. You know the feeling when you want to suck a boob so bad that nothing but a nipple's gonna do? Who knows that feeling? Yeah, yeah hetero men, lesbians, and Dylan, right? 
baby mammals are beguiling. Dylan's got skills. Look, eating, smiling, babbling, a little bit of call and response, communicating all of his needs and wants. But that doesn't mean he knows what he's doing, planning, considering, executing. Yeah, Dylan's got reasons to do stuff, but are they his reasons or evolutions? A cuckoo chick doesn't laugh or cry. It focuses on host chick and fed decide. And if Dylan was a Barbary macaque, well, he'd be clinging instinctively to mama's back. See, it's easy to anthropomorphize the mind of an animal, but evolution is blind and thinking is costly. A baby bird doesn't need it to get its mama defeated. And Dylan doesn't need to reflect on his cuteness to recruit parental contributions. All he needs to do is goo-goo and ucha. Resistance is futile. You know the feeling when you make a whole plan and your mind strategize and revise and adapt. Y'all know that feeling? You know the feeling. Animals don't though, and neither does Dylan. You know the feeling when you're looking in the mirror and you recognize your reflection in there. Who knows that feeling? Yeah, see, we're all the same. You, me, chimpanzees, magpies, dolphins, and other cetaceans. So far, just one elephant. All of us know that self-reflective feeling, but not Dylan. So, I am the world's first and only peer-reviewed rap artist. I do submit all of the lyrics to scientific experts to make sure that it's been fact-checked properly. And then if anybody disagrees with the science, they can take it up with me or the army of scientists that marches behind me. But in this case, it was quite easy because I learned most of the science from Dylan's baby mama. I was on tour, I was performing a bunch of evolutionary biology themed rap songs in 2012. I went to a lecture. It was a cognitive neuroscientist giving the talk. She was giving a talk about the dynamic unconscious and the ways our brain produces behaviors we're aware of and unaware of and how those mix together. It was a complex and fascinating lecture that I had a really hard time paying attention to. Because <laughs> I was like, dope. I knew I had to talk to her afterwards. Her name was Dr. Heather Berlin, PhD. So I hit her with this pickup line at the end of her talk. Um, really great lecture. Are you single? <laughs> uh, luckily, I had had an opportunity to perform on the same stage before she gave her talk. So I had a non-zero chance of success. Uh, one thing led to another, and uh, Dylan was born just over two years ago, our second child. So the show starts with a happy ending, uh, but she can tell how that came together better than I can. So please put your hands together for Oxford-educated PhD cognitive neuroscientist and current professor of psychiatry and cognitive neuroscience at Mount Sinai Hospital, and my beautiful wife, Dr. Heather Berlin! <laughs> Plug one, plug two. Hello. Hey. All right. So uh, good to be here. Uh, so I'm going to tell you a little bit from my perspective. When I first met Baba, he was up on stage. He was doing his rap thing. And he was like, you know, yo, yo, ain't no ho, or something like that. <laughs> I don't that know. is not one of my lyrics. Yeah. It's a complex rap about the adaptive behaviors known as short-term and long-term mating strategies and how they can be adaptive in certain environmental contexts, but not in others. Right, whatever. Basically, <laughs> like, I ain't no ho, kind of, yeah. Pretty good uh, summary, actually. It's all the same to me. I I'm, I'm actually wasn't, wasn't a huge rap fan at the time. Um, but I was actually intrigued about what was happening in his brain when he was rapping, right? <laughs> 
So it was like that intricate lyricism and um, you know how to make things rhyme in real time. And so I actually invited him to come to my lab so I could run some tests on him. It's a true story. I sensed an opening. Yeah. So, and I kind of just, I threw in some personality tests, some IQ measure, you know, just in case. Because he had asked me out. I wanted to, to bet him. Um, <laughs> but, um, so, yeah, I had him come in, and I basically wanted him to do, to rap, and then simultaneously do different cognitive tasks. And when there was an overlap, basically, between that part of the brain that's involved in that cognitive function and rapping, it would kind of mess up his performance. That would allow me to understand the parts of the brain that are involved with rapping. So I thought maybe I would do a live demonstration here um, of a couple of the tests that I ran on him. And um, in order to do this, though, I need to get a volunteer because I need to compare him to a healthy control subject. Or, I mean, just a control subject. I'm sorry, I'm used to talking in psychiatric terms. They're both healthy. So do we, we have two, oh god, we have two volunteers. I'm going to take, and wait, oh, this is the caveat. You have to know a rap. It could be any rap as long as you know it by heart. Uh, are you guys not raising your hands anymore, the two volunteers? Do you know a rap? Like, you have to know at least, like, a few, how long? Maybe how long? eight bars or something like that? Like, 20 seconds, 30 seconds? No? No, you cannot have the lyrics. No, you have the lyrics. Memorized? Does anybody know an Eminem You have a, this guy, you have a memorized. Okay, he's got, he's clearly memorized. Okay. Okay, come, come up. You got, what's your song? Uh, to Rockweiler. The Rockweiler. I don't know anything about Man. Is that a Red classic? Man, right? Right. Right. Yeah, it's Rockweiler. I've never heard that one on this stage. What's your name? Walter. Big round of applause for Walter, yeah. everybody! Hank. <laughs> okay, so what you want to should you practice? You want to practice? Just like do a couple you want, of bars. Do you want to refresh or just is it to, locked? Do you know it? Okay. You're good. Okay. <laughs> this guy's confident. We'll see. Okay. So what I'm going to do, and Bob will go through it first, is you're, you'll, you'll start rapping, and you'll, you're going to try to stay. If you, if you get to the end of like what you know, just go back and, and restart from the beginning, as long as you just keep a constant flow. And then I'm going to have you do a few tasks. We're going to do a visual identification task, where basically um, I ask you to like, look at a certain object in the room, and then you'll have to, I'll point to it, and then you'll have to just point on the screen what the color is of that object. Okay, and let me just do a little demonstration. Wait, move over for a second. I'm just gonna show the audience. This is a kind of an example of just a task that we give. I just thought I wanna give this little demonstration before we begin. Um, you guys might have seen this before, but just so you'll get an inkling of what he's gonna start going through in a minute. Um, what I want you all to do is just read the name of the color of the word that I put on the screen, okay? You guys know this? You guys know this? You guys are a very well-educated audience. Well, let's do it anyway. All right, here we go. Ready? All in unison. Look at the high IQ in the <laughs> So, you know, the thing is, even if you know it, you know, you still can't trick your brain, right? It still becomes a little bit difficult and you slip up. And that tells me there's, again, there's a conflict in your brain. So that's why we're going to look at some of these tasks. Sometimes when you do a motor task at the same time, it can also mess you up because obviously the brain is involved in controlling every muscle in your body as well. So part of these tests are I'm going to look at 
motor skills, cognitive tasks, um, and then again, while wrapping. So one will be, you're gonna, I'm gonna point to an object in the room, you're gonna simultaneously try to name the color of the object, you'll point to it on the screen, there'll be listed colors here while continuing to wrap. Um, then we're gonna do uh, a math problem. Okay, so I'm gonna hold up a number of fingers, and you're gonna have to plug in that number into where it says N in the equation, and then solve the equation and point to the answer on the screen. Right? Okay. <laughs> and then, <laughs> We're gonna do a memory task where I'm gonna to point to four different objects in an array like this. Then you'll have a pause, um, you'll do a little motor task, and then you'll come back and have to point to the objects. Okay, piece of cake, all right. Yeah. This is what I had to do to get my second date, basically. <laughs> so Bob is gonna go first, I'll show you how it's done. Right. You got it, babe? Yeah. All right, drop the beat. I like to say that. <laughs> okay, I'll do a memorized rap that I wrote. In the beginning, I was just a kid listening to Slick Rick, Maestro Fresh West, Jazzy Jeff, and the Fresh Prince. Rewrite the lyrics and recite them to my best friends. I was just a copycat, and this was just a hobby that would probably pass after I'd exhausted all my sloppy rap. I got the laughs I was after. Little bastard, I listened to Fat Joe, Method Man, and B.I.G. And imagine living as a VIP, though I didn't have a plan, just a fantasy. But I can still pass exams with ease and plant trees to get cash for books, tuition fees, and rap CDs. And I had a chance to read classic Greek tragedies. I've always been addicted to words, so I just immersed myself in English literature. But I was immature, and these were fickle times. Between classes, I would listen to rhymes and find my lips whispering lines as if in the background. Then at 19, I wrote my first original rap down. I still feel the Myself cyphering with the likes of Big Pong with the punks and just a decision with the flip of the tongue. Shit, I did it for fun. I was ambitious and irreverent. I figured I was clever enough to get the better of any competitor. Cause I was verbally first rate. My early verses were based on discursive wordplay. Yeah. But how are we gonna prove to them that we didn't pre-plan those choices? Gotta take her oh, word for it now. You gotta trust me. I'm a scientist. I'm a scientist. Okay. Trust me. Okay, this does your my Scientific pointer doesn't integrity. work. Let's see. Uh, does your pointer work? My pointer works, okay. but this also controls the music. Oh, I can do it. Okay, I got it. All right, here we go. Press forward for the music. Okay. Are you ready? Sure. All right. <laughs> Just you know, start getting into the flow. You're gonna do it to this beat. Okay. Okay. Ready? Sweet. So start the rap. You got it.
swap out the remotes and then you'll get the. Oh, you got it? Okay, yeah, switch it up. There's a technical issue. So, all right, well, while he's doing that, what did we learn there? Well, he's a good rapper, that's right, that's one thing we learned, for sure. Um, well, basically, they could both pretty easily do the visual identification task, which tells me that you don't really need to use much of your occipital cortex, which is involved in processing visual information, to wrap. You can very easily identify objects in the room visually while, without breaking a flow. Then we did the math problem. And it looked like it would be pretty hard, but actually both could pretty easily do it. That's because mathematical processing involves a part of the brain called the parietal cortex. And it's also involved in your, your body's sort of orientation in space. That's why you can also move around a lot while rapping. It doesn't really mess you up. So you can, in parallel, do math problems and rap. However, when we got to the memory problem, it became a little bit more difficult. And that's because this, in order to recall a memorized rap, you're using a part of your brain called the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. And this is a task of working memory or online memory, which is also using the same part of the brain. So if you don't have the rap really locked down, and you're still like, oh, you have to utilize activation that part of the brain, now I simultaneously give you another task that's taxing the same part of the brain, it becomes more difficult. You're not able to do it. Baba can't always get it. Sometimes he gets three out of four. It's true, right? You sometimes don't get them all, but it's really difficult. But what about- I also had a lot of practice with the rap. Yeah. When's the last time you performed a Rockweiler live on stage? Uh, never. <laughs> <laughs> this morning in the shower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, pretty much. Um, does this have the pointer now? Okay, we got it. So the other, the other aspect is what about the language parts of the brain? So you have this area in the prefrontal cortex called Broca's area, which is involved in the formation of speech, creating speech sounds. You have Wernicke's area that's involved in the comprehension of language. So these areas are obviously very actively engaged when you're doing a linguistic, a, a, quite a complex linguistic task like rapping. So how can we look at this part of the brain? So I thought, what about can you rap and write at the same time? But write something different than what you're rapping, okay? So like, you're gonna write a text, but we need to make sure that it's completely spontaneous, that Bob and I did not plan it in advance. Um, can you name a recent, or not a recent, just a popular film that people would know? Titanic. Titanic, okay. So you're gonna write, you're gonna do your memorized rap and then write simultaneously about Titanic on the screen. Bob will go first. <laughs> This is how I got my third date. So, I'm gonna hold the mic for you, I guess, like this. Wait, should I go on this side? Because you don't have a mic stand, right? Yeah. Okay, I'll be your mic holder for this. Okay. Check one. <laughs> of course it works, I've been using it. Okay. Might, might not be the same level. Okay. Gotta make sure. All right, here we go. Oh. I think the batteries don't work on that. Hmm. Maestro Fresh West, Jazzy Jeff, and the Fresh Prince. I write the lyrics and recite them to my best friend. This copycat, and this was just a whoppy duck, hover duck. Oh, holy shit, this is hard. After I'd exhausted all my sloppy raps and got the laughs I was after. Typical little bastard, privileged middle class. Middle little rascal. 
the ticket to sit in the back row of the rap show. I listen to Fat Joe, met the band at GIT. I imagine living as a VIP, though I didn't have a plan, just a fantasy. But I can still pass exams with these and pass trees with them. <laughs> all right, all right, you stopped rapping. You're done, you're done. <laughs> Okay, you ready? Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, it's a piece of cake. So um, I'm going to give you the mic, okay. start rapping, and then you just start writing about Titanic. You ready? Mm -hmm. You got it, hon? Just first start rapping. Microphone check, swing and swirl action, coming down the sector, supreme neck protector. Better warn them, kid, it's a mess up, boiling pot, about to blow his lid. to both simultaneously rap and do another linguistic task at the same time. Um, but, but actually, I mean, surprisingly, they could both sort of do it a little bit, right? You were able to get a couple words out. Baba got a couple more out. He had a little bit more practice. So even though you're utilizing these language areas of the brain while rapping, there's still some sort of cognitive reserve left over to simultaneously do another linguistic task. But so what if we just take it up one more notch, right? What about, um, what about freestyle rap? So this is where it's completely spontaneous. Um, you know, it's this, it's, it's, you know, we call it spontaneous creativity. You have to come up with the lyrics in the moment. Can't really think about them. They have to rhyme, they have to stay on beat. It has to make sense. It, it's a really complex cognitive task. I think you're trying to freak them out right now. <laughs> <laughs> so the question is, um, can you freestyle about Titanic? And then can you simultaneously write something different about Titanic while you're, you're freestyling, right? Piece of cake. Okay, here we go, Baba. You go first. Okay. You wanna hold the mic? The performance of this task got me into the uterus. Oh God. Check it out, I'm freestyling, goddammit, why panic? I'm volcanic, my name is Titanic, well I'm rocking this. Yeah, check freestyles, examine them. That was a really big grossing movie by James Cameron. Yes, indeed, check it out, I got flows. The heroine of that movie was hot, they called her Rose. Yeah, I'm talking about the actress whose name I can't remember at the second. It's messing up my brain, oh yeah, that's right. I just got the incept like Inception. You said it was Kate Winslet. She's checking my lyrics as I go. Checking, 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 I wrote checking. Well, I said checking. <laughs> okay, that's right, I'm on a Titanic loop. I am freezing like a motherfucking ice cube ah, in the shit they're not gonna pick me up in the boat that's coming round I guess I'm really stuck <laughs> okay check it out it's my life yo this is me escaping in a lifeboat indeed check it I own the world come on baby draw me like one of your chorus girl uh. <laughs> it's harder than it looks and it looks hard all right come on 
Wanna give it a try? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's alright. Just just get into your freestyle flow, you know, and then you can start writing. Okay, here we go. Whatever comes to your mind. Um, so something changed in your brain, right? 
if the, the physical stimuli remains constant, so the photons hitting your retina, being processed by the visual cortex remained exactly the same, but what changed was your perception in your brain. And that's what we want to track. What's the correlates of your perception? What changed in your brain between the time you didn't see it and once you did see it? And now you can't unsee it. So if I show you this in an hour or tomorrow, it'll pop out right away. So something changed in your brain. And here's another example of, do you guys see this hidden message right away? You guys are sharp. Sometimes it takes people a while. Right, Parents, this was Parents Magazine. Parents Magazine. Um, but this went to press, right? So there are little things like this that are, that are out there that our brain is processing all the time unconsciously that might go on and affect our behavior that we're just not consciously uh, aware of. And here's another one. So raise your hand if you see this subliminal message here. A lot of people. Okay. Great. So you guys all see the the nine dolphins in the negative space here? The nine dolphins. <laughs> right. So this is another interesting one because it's context dependent. So prepubescent people or children um, see the nine dolphins right away. Um, adults tend to see the naked man embracing the naked woman. But the interesting thing, again, is that it's the same exact physical stimuli, but our brain interprets it in different ways depending on what we've been exposed to. So again, it's context-dependent. What we, what we see, what we perceive is not necessarily, doesn't correlate necessarily with reality. We're constructing our own little reality inside our heads all the time. Um, some say, some have said it's like we're all um, hallucinating all the time, and when we agree upon it, we call it reality. That, that clicker has a pointer now. Oh, this one has a pointer now? Thanks. And can you use it? Oh, yeah. I'm lose the picture for a second. Okay, we're going to lose the picture for a second, but that's fine. I can just talk over it. It doesn't matter. Um, what is the... Oh, my bad. How's everybody feeling today? All right. My name is Barbara Brickman. I will introduce Dr. Heather Berlin shortly, but first, I'd like to introduce myself. Uh, in the form of a rap song, which I wrote about my then three-month-old infant son uh, and the question of how conscious is he anyway? <laughs> so uh, this one's, this goes out to the guy. His name is Dylan. <clears throat> Resist his Jedi powers. You know the feeling when you're chillin' like a villain, dealing with no stress, like a room with no ceiling, just open. And you like the rhyme illin, so much you name your first son Dylan. Well, that's the feeling I felt November 12th when I first held Dylan and fell under his spell. That was three days after the election from hell when the Trump cartel captured Winterfell. Yeah, remember that feeling when political discussions are just divisive and ugly and Twitter is busted and you're feeling just ill and disgusted? Y'all know that feeling? Well, Dylan doesn't. What's it like to be a human baby? Just a blooming, buzzing confusion, maybe? I look in his eyes and try to read his thoughts and find myself wondering whether he's got them or just sensations, chaotic and messy. I want to relate. Should I take some LSD so I can stop thinking and just exist? I mean, look at the kid. Ignorance is bliss. You know the feeling when you find the right words to express your thoughts, connect, and get heard? Y'all know that feeling? 
You know the feeling, animals don't know, and neither does Dylan. You know the feeling of bladder control when you don't even go when you have to go. Who knows that feeling? Yeah, even dogs know that feeling, but not Dylan. Dylan doesn't know the feeling of regret or anticipation of future stress. Is he conscious? Yes, or maybe not just yet. There could be several different levels of consciousness. Does he have a subjective perspective? I guess so, but is it like a fish or like a gecko? I mean, the kid started out as a single cell like a year ago, and don't call it a miracle. Call it a triumph of modern medicine. Dylan was an excellent IVF specimen. I know because he spent a month in a freezer so we can do research and check his genes first. Sometimes evolution needs a boost and it worked too. Uh, he's so cute. But when does he begin to be a mental self? I've seen a picture of him at a hundred cells and I wondered when does consciousness emerge at the paramecium level or nematode worm? I was still a proud dad though when the kid had gills and a tail like a tadpole. You know the feeling when you comprehend and solve a problem that was trying to box you Y'all know that feeling? You know the feeling. Animals don't know, and neither does villain. You know the feeling when you want to suck a boob so bad that nothing but a nipple's gonna do. Who knows that feeling? Yeah, yeah hetero men, lesbians, and Dylan, right? Baby mammals are beguiling. Dylan's got skills. Look, eating, smiling, babbling a little bit of call and response, communicating all of his needs and wants. But that doesn't mean he knows what he's doing, planning, considering, executing. Yeah, Dylan's got reasons to do stuff, but are they his reasons or evolutions? A cuckoo chick doesn't laugh or cry. It focuses on host chick and fantasize. And if Dylan was a Barbary macaque, well, he'd be clinging instinctively to mama's back. See, it's easy to anthropomorphize the mind of an animal, but evolution is blind and thinking is costly. A baby bird doesn't need it to get its mama defeated, and Dylan doesn't need to reflect on his cuteness to recruit parental contributions. All he needs to do is goo goo and ooh cha. Resistance is futile. You know the feeling when you make a whole plan and your mind strategize and revise and adapt. Y'all know that feeling? You know the feeling, animals don't know, and neither does Dylan. You know the feeling when you're looking in the mirror and you recognize your reflection in there. Who knows that feeling? Yeah, see, we're all the same. You, me, chimpanzees, magpies, dolphins, and other cetaceans. So far, just one elephant. All of us know that self-reflective feeling, but not Dylan. <laughs> So, I am the world's first and only peer-reviewed rap artist. <laughs> I do submit all of the lyrics to scientific experts to make sure that it's been fact-checked properly. And then if anybody disagrees with the science, they can take it up with me or the army of scientists that marches behind me. But in this case, it was quite easy because I learned most of the science from Dylan's baby mama. I was on tour, I was performing a bunch of evolutionary biology themed rap songs in 2012. I went to a lecture, it was a cognitive neuroscientist giving the talk. She was giving a talk about the dynamic unconscious and the ways our brain produces behaviors we're aware of and unaware of and how those mix together. It was a complex and fascinating lecture that I had a really hard time paying attention to. Because <laughs> I was like, dope! I knew I had to talk to her afterwards. Her name was Dr. Heather Berlin, PhD. So I hit her with this pickup line at the end of her talk. Um, really great lecture. 
are you single? Uh, luckily, I had had an opportunity to perform on the same stage before she gave her talk, so I had a non-zero chance of success. Uh, one thing led to another, and uh, Dylan was born just over two years ago, our second child. So the show starts with a happy ending, uh, but she can tell how that came together better than I can, so please put your hands together for Oxford-educated PhD cognitive neuroscientist and current professor of psychiatry and cognitive neuroscience at Mount Sinai Hospital and my beautiful wife, Dr. Heather Berlin! <laughs> Plug one, plug two. Hello. Hey. All right. So, uh, good to be here. Uh, so, I'm going to tell you a little bit from my perspective. When I first met Baba, he was up on stage. He was doing his rap thing, and he was like, you know, yo, yo, ain't no ho, or something like that. <laughs> I don't that know. is not one of my lyrics. Yeah. It's a complex rap about the adaptive behaviors known as short-term and long-term mating strategies and how they can be adaptive in certain environmental contexts, but not in others. Right, whatever. Basically, <laughs> like, I ain't no ho, kind of, yeah. Pretty good uh, summary, actually. It's all the same to me. I I'm, I'm actually wasn't, wasn't a huge rap fan at the time. Um, but I was actually intrigued about what was happening in his brain when he was rapping, right? <laughs> that intricate lyricism and um, you know how to make things rhyme in real time and so I actually invited him to come to my lab so I could run some tests on him. It's a true story. I sensed an opening. Yeah. So and I kind of just I threw in some personality tests and IQ measure you know just in case because he had asked me out I wanted to, to bet him. Um, but um so yeah, I had him come in, and I basically wanted him to do, to rap, and then simultaneously do different cognitive tasks. And when there was an overlap, basically, between that part of the brain that's involved in that cognitive function and rapping, it would kind of mess up his performance. That would allow me to understand the parts of the brain that are involved with rapping. So I thought maybe I would do a live demonstration here um, of a couple of the tests that I ran on him. And um, in order to do this, though, I need to get a volunteer because I need to compare him to a healthy control subject. Or, I mean, just a control subject. I'm sorry, I'm used to talking in psychiatric terms. They're both healthy. So do we, we have two, oh God, we have two volunteers. I'm gonna take, and wait, oh, this is the caveat. You have to know a rap. It could be any rap, as long as you know it by heart. Uh, are you guys not raising your hands anymore, the two volunteers? Do you know a rap? Like, you have to know at least, like, a few, how long? Maybe oh. eight bars or something like that? Like, 20 seconds, 30 seconds? No? No, you cannot have the lyrics. No, you cannot have the lyrics. Memorized? Oh, God, does anybody know an Eminem You have a, this guy, you've memorized. Okay, he's got, he's clearly memorized. Okay. Okay, come, come up. You got, what's your song? Uh, to Rockweiler. The Rockweiler. I don't know anything about Rockweiler. Is that a classic? Man, right? Oh, right. Yeah, it's Rockweiler. I've never heard that one on the stage. What's your name? Walter. Big round of applause for Walter, yeah. everybody! Thanks. <laughs> okay, so what you want to do? Should you practice? You want to practice? Just like do a couple do you want, of bars. Do you want to refresh or just is it to, locked? Do you know it? Uh, okay. You're good. Okay. <laughs> this guy's confident. We'll see. Okay. So what I'm gonna do, and Bob will go through it first, is you're, you'll, you'll start rapping, and you'll, you're gonna try to stay, if you, if you get to the end of like what you know, just go back and, and restart from the beginning, as long as you just keep a constant flow. 
And then I'm going to have you do a few tasks. We're going to do a visual identification task where basically um, I ask you to like look at a certain object in the room and then you'll have to I'll point to it and then you'll have to just point on the screen what the color is of that object. Okay, and let me just do a little demonstration. Wait, move over for a second. I'm just gonna show the audience. This is a kind of an example of just a task that we give. I just thought I wanna give this little demonstration before we begin. Um, you guys might have seen this before, but just so you'll get an inkling of what he's gonna start going through in a minute. Um, what I want you to all do is just read the name of the color of the word that I put on the screen, okay? You guys know this? You guys know this? You guys are a very well-educated audience. Well, let's do it anyway. All right, here we go. Ready? All in unison. Look at the high IQ in the <laughs> So, you know, the thing is, even if you know it, you know, you still can't trick your brain, right? It still becomes a little bit difficult and you slip up. And that tells me there's, again, there's a conflict in your brain. So that's why we're going to look at some of these tasks. Sometimes when you do a motor task at the same time, it can also mess you up because obviously the brain is involved in controlling every muscle in your body as well. So part of these tests are I'm going to look at motor skills, cognitive tasks, um, and then again, while wrapping. So one will be, you're gonna, I'm gonna point to an object in the room, you're gonna simultaneously try to name the color of the object, you'll point to it on the screen, there'll be listed colors here while continuing to wrap. Um, then we're gonna do uh, a math problem. Okay, so I'm gonna hold up a number of fingers and you're gonna have to plug in that number into where it says N in the equation and then solve the equation and point to the answer on the screen, right? Okay. <laughs> and then, <laughs> We're gonna do a memory task where I'm gonna to point to four different objects in an array like this. Then you'll have a pause, um, you'll do a little motor task, and then you'll come back and have to point to the objects. Okay, piece of cake, all right. Yeah. This is what I had to do to get my second date, basically. <laughs> so Bob is gonna go first, I'll show you how it's done. Right. You got it, babe? Yeah. All right, drop the beat. I like to say that. <laughs> okay, I'll do a memorized rap that I wrote. In the beginning, I was just a kid listening to Slick Rick, Maestro Fresh West, Jazzy Jeff, and the Fresh Prince. Rewrite the lyrics and recite them to my best friends. I was just a copycat, this was just a hobby that would probably pass after I'd exhausted all my sloppy rap. I got the laughs I was after. Little bastard, I listened to Fat Joe, Method Man, and B.I.G. And imagine living as a VIP, though I didn't have a plan, just a fantasy. But I can still pass exams with ease and plant trees to get cash for books, tuition fees, and rap CDs. And I had a chance to read classic Greek tragedies. I've always been addicted to words, so I just immersed myself in English literature. But I was immature, and these were fickle times. Between classes, I would listen to rhymes and find my lips whispering lines as if in the background. Then at 19, I wrote my first original rap down. I still feel the prickle of initial excitement. I figured it's official, y'all. This is enlightenment. I picture myself ciphering with the likes of Big Pong, whipping punch and disposition with the flip of the tongue. Shit, I did it for fun. I was ambitious and irreverent. I figured I was clever enough to get the better of any competitor. Cause I was verbally first rate. My early verses were based on discursive wordplay. Yeah. But how are we gonna prove to them that we didn't pre-plan? 
and those choices. You gotta take her oh, word for it now. You gotta trust me. Trust I'm a scientist. Yeah. I'm a scientist. Okay. Trust me. Okay, this does your my Scientific pointer doesn't integrity. work. Let's see. Uh, does your pointer work? My pointer works. Okay. But this also controls the music. Oh, I can do it. Okay, I got it. All right, here we go. Press forward for the music. Okay. Are you ready? Sure. All right. <laughs> Just, you know, start getting into the flow. You're going to do it to this beat, okay? okay. Ready? Sweet. So start the rap. You got it. Oh, you got it? Okay, yeah, switch it up. There's a technical issue. So, all right, well, while he's doing that, what did we learn there? Well, he's a good rapper, that's right. That's one thing we learned, for sure. Um, well, basically, they could both pretty easily do the visual identification task, which tells me that you don't really need to use much of your occipital cortex, which is involved in processing visual information, to rap. You can very easily identify objects in the room visually while, without breaking a flow. Then we did the math problem. And it looked like it would be pretty hard, but actually both could pretty easily do it. That's because mathematical processing involves a part of the brain called the parietal cortex. And it's also involved in your, your body's sort of orientation in space. That's why you can also move around a lot while rapping. It doesn't really mess you up. So you can, in parallel, do math problems and rap. However, when we got to the memory problem, it became a little bit in order to recall a memorized rap, you're using a part of your brain called the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. And this is a task of working memory or online memory, which is also using the same part of the brain. So if you don't have the rap really locked down and you're still like, uh, you have to utilize activation that part of the brain, now I simultaneously give you another task that's taxing the same part of the brain, it becomes more difficult. You're not able to do it. Baba can't always get it. Sometimes he gets three out of four. It's true, right? You sometimes don't get them all. But it's really difficult. But what about? I also had a lot of practice with the rap. Yeah. When's the last time you performed a Rockweiler live on stage? Uh, never. <laughs> <laughs> this morning in the shower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, pretty much. Um, does this have the pointer now? Okay, we got it. So the other the other aspect is what about the language parts of the brain? So you have this area in the prefrontal cortex called Broca's area, which is involved in the formation of speech, creating speech sounds. You have Wernicke's area that's involved in the comprehension of language. So these areas are obviously very actively engaged when you're doing a linguistic, a, a, quite a complex linguistic task like rapping. So how can we look at this part of the brain? So I thought, what about can you rap and write at the same time? But 
write something different than what you're wrapping. Okay? So like, you're gonna write a text, but we need to make sure that it's completely spontaneous, that Bob and I did not plan it in advance. Um, can you name a recent, uh, or not a recent, just a popular film that people would know? Titanic. Titanic, okay. So you're gonna write, you're gonna do your memorized rap, and then write simultaneously about Titanic on the screen. Bob will go first. <laughs> This is how I got my third date. So, I'm gonna hold the mic for you, I guess, like this. Wait, should I go on this side? Because you don't have a mic stand, right? Yeah. Okay, I'll be your mic holder for this. Okay. Check one. <laughs> of course it works, I've been using it. Okay. Might, might not be the same level. Okay. Gotta make sure. All right, here we go. Oh. I think the batteries don't work on that. Hmm. Maestro Fresh West, Jazzy Jeff, and the Fresh Prince. I write the lyrics and recite them to my best friend. Uh, this copycat, and this was just a whoppy duck, hover duck. Oh, holy shit, this is hard. The <laughs> ride exhausted all my sloppy raps and got the laps I was after. Typical little bastard, privileged middle class. Mitsu's little rascal. And the ticket to sit in the back row of the rap show. I listened to Fat Joe, met the band in GID. I imagine living as a VIP, though I didn't have a plan, just a fantasy. But I can still pass exams with these and pass trees with them. All right, all right, you're stopped rapping. You're done, you're done. <laughs> So um, I'm going to give you the mic, okay. start rapping, and then you just start writing about Titanic. You ready? Mm -hmm. You got it, hon? Just first start rapping. Microphone check. to both simultaneously rap and do another linguistic task at the same time. Um, but, but actually, I mean, surprisingly, they could both sort of do it a little bit, right? You were able to get a couple words out. Baba got a couple more out. He had a little bit more practice. So even though you're utilizing these language areas of the brain while rapping, there's still some sort of cognitive reserve left over to simultaneously do another linguistic task. But so what if we just take it up one more notch, right? What about, um, what about freestyle rap? So this is where it's completely spontaneous. Um, you know, it's this, it's, it's, you know, we call it spontaneous creativity. You have to come up with the lyrics in the moment. You can't really think about them. They have to rhyme, they have to stay on beat. It has to make sense. It, it's a really complex cognitive task. I think you're trying to freak them out right now. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so the question is, um, can you freestyle 
about Titanic? And then can you simultaneously write something different about Titanic while you're, you're freestyling, right? Piece of cake. Okay, here we go, Baba. You go first. Okay. You wanna hold the mic? Performance of this task got me into the uterus. <laughs> Check it out, I'm freestyling, goddammit, why panic? I'm volcanic, my name is Titanic, well I'm rocking this. Yeah, check freestyles, examine them. That was a really big grossing movie by James Cameron. Yes, indeed, check it out, I got flows. The heroine of that movie was hot. They called her Rose, yeah, I'm talking about the actress whose name I can't remember hey, at this second. It's messing up my brain, oh yeah, that's right. I just got to incept like Inception. You said it was Kate Winslet. She's checking my lyrics as I go. Checking, 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 I wrote checking. Well, I said checking. <laughs> Okay, that's right, I'm on a Titanic loop I am freezing like a motherfucking ice cube Ah, in the shit, they're not gonna pick me up In the boat that's coming round, I guess I'm really stuck <laughs> Okay, check it out, it's my life, yo This is me escaping in a lifeboat Indeed, check it, I own the world Come on, baby, draw me like one of your chorus girl uh, <laughs> It's harder than it looks And it looks hard Come on. Give it a try? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Just just get into your freestyle flow, yeah. you know, and then you can start writing. Okay, here we go. Whatever comes to your mind. He held his own, though. He held his own. Props. <laughs> but so, but there's much more going on in the brain than just that. So, you know, you have to kind of understand what's happening in their brain when they're rapping. You need to know a little bit more about the brain, and it's basically like an information processing machine made up of individual units or neurons. There are about um, a thousand to ten thousand synapses, and there's about you know eighty billion neurons. So, I mean, there's like a hundred trillion neurons in the human brain. Connections. Uh, connections in the human brain. Thank you very much. She's correcting me. Um, there's more connections than there are in stars in the Milky Way. So it's a really complex um, piece of matter. 
but it's a myth that we only use 10% of our brain. We actually use all of it, all the time. None of it, none of it is redundant. We're only just conscious of a little bit of what's happening in the brain. Most, most of what's happening in the brain is happening unconsciously, outside of awareness, and it's motivating our behavior and the decisions we make and even the mates that we choose. Um, but I can actually get very interested in what's the neural basis of these unconscious processes in the brain that are really motivating our behavior. And we often come up with these explanations for our decisions that um, are not necessarily the real reason why we do things. We have like post hoc explanations all the time, but the real reasons we can really understand when we peer deeper into the brain. So I give people experiments in the lab like this one, where either you present stimuli very quickly or very subtly, so the person claims not to see the kind of hidden message, yet it goes on to affect their behavior. So raise your hand if you can see the hidden message here. Oh, a couple people, okay. I know it's on your guys' minds. <laughs> All right. <laughs> wow, okay. Um, so, this doesn't work yet. The negative space here, in the, by the, it says S-E-X, you see? And then there's the, the birds and the bees, yeah? And the flowers are kind of like loving towards each other. Yeah. So once you see it now, you can't unsee it. Doesn't work? It doesn't work. I'm gonna change it. Switch it out again. Um, so something changed in your brain, right? If the, the physical stimuli remains constant, so the photons hitting your retina, being processed by the visual cortex, remained exactly the same, but what changed was your perception in your brain. And that's what we want to track. What's the neural correlates of your perception? What changed in your brain between the time you didn't see it and once you did see it. And now you can't unsee it. So if I show you this in an hour or tomorrow, it'll pop out right away. So something changed in your brain. And here's another example of, do you guys see this hidden message right away? You guys are sharp. Sometimes it takes people a while. Right, parents, this was Parents Magazine. Parents Magazine. Um, but this went to press, right? So there are little things like this that are, that are out there that our brain is processing all the time unconsciously that might go on and affect our behavior that we're just not consciously uh, aware of. And here's another one. So raise your hand if you see this subliminal message here. A lot of people, okay, great. So you guys all see the, the nine dolphins in the negative space here? Right, so this is another interesting one because it's context dependent. So prepubescent people, or children, um, see the nine dolphins right away. Um, adults tend to see the naked man embracing the naked woman. But the interesting thing again is that it's the same exact physical stimuli, but our brain interprets it in different ways depending on what we've been exposed to. So again, it's context dependent. What we what we see, what we perceive is not necessarily, doesn't fully necessarily with reality. We're constructing our own little reality inside our heads all the time. Um, some say, some have said it's like we're all um, hallucinating all the time and when we agree upon it, we call it reality. That, that clicker has a pointer now. Oh, this one has a pointer now? Thanks. And can you use a, oh, yeah. can you switch that we'll up? Okay, we're gonna lose the picture for a second, but that's fine. I can just talk over it, it doesn't matter. Um, what is the 
There you go. Okay. So different theories about what's happening in the brain when we become consciously aware. You can know that as much as you know it, you can't really see it. But if you remove the shadow and draw a line between them, you can sort of see it. And that's because the brain makes up for it that B is surrounded by dark squares, A is surrounded by light squares, there's a shadow, and it, and it sort of adjusts for the light. Um, and a similar phenomena happened with this address. Do you remember this dress phenomena from a while ago? Right? People like saw this. It was a white and gold dress. It was dress. definitely a black and blue dress. <laughs> for sure. Um, it was, they saw this, the sun was hitting it, and so some brains kind of interpreted that and, and darkened it up, and others lightened it up, and um, there we had this discrepancy. There was also a more, a, a more recent one in the auditory domain, with the laurel and the lorry or whatever that was. I don't know. Okay, yeah, you get the point. Um, so we're all experiencing the world in slightly different, different ways. So we can, again, test different, this, this in the lab, which looking at bistable images. So here, for example, either I can prime you with words like elderly and wise, and you'd likely see the old woman looking down, that's her nose, her mouth, her chin, and her eye. Or I can give you words like young, youthful, you'd see the younger woman looking away, that's her eyelash, her nose, her chin, and her ear. But you'll never see them at the same time your brain will kind of flip back and forth between perceiving one or the other. And again, that's what you want to track. What's happening in your brain, for example, when you see the old woman versus when you do? What's changing in terms of your neural, uh, the neurons firing? And what we find is that what tends to correlate with what you see at any given moment are these coalitions of neurons that start firing together. So if you think of it like a kind of parliamentary election in the brain or a kind of Darwinian evolution between groups of neurons in the brain. Like sometimes a group of neuron comes to power and it stays there for a few seconds. That's what comes into your consciousness at that given moment. If you attend to something, it stays there longer um, until the next group of neurons or coalition of neurons comes to power. And that's sort of the ebb and flow of your conscious perception. Um, this actually is, these are not neurons, this is actually a Twitter feed. Um, <laughs> I tricked you. But it's, it's similar, I, I, I liken it to, to a Twitter feed because if each neuron firing is like a tweet, when enough people tweet about something, it starts to kind of trend in our kind of global consciousness. And that's sort of like what's happening in the brain. When enough neurons start firing together, it comes up into, into consciousness. It's also important to remember that, that it's occurring across these distributed networks in the brain. It's not just all coming together at one place. This is just a neural network of a bird brain, uh, which is pretty complex. Most people have a more complex brain than a bird, and so you can imagine, I emphasize most, um, that it's, it's pretty complicated to map out these neural networks in the brain and to really map and track the neural correlates of consciousness. The other thing is that these neurons are coming together in your brain um, when they come together, it's not like they're all firing at the same time. That would be like an epileptic seizure. But they're firing in coordination, in sync. So if you can think of each neuron as like an instrument in an orchestra, when they all start playing together, a symphony, that's what it's like. Or a wave in a crowd, um, if each neuron is a person, you know, they don't stand up and sit down at the same time, but they don't do it randomly either. They're doing it in sync, in coordination. That's what brings these neurons together. That's footage from one of my rap concerts. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in a few years. <laughs> um, but what I thought I would do is actually take you on a little tour inside the brain, explain what, what each um, part of the brain does, and, but to keep it interesting, maybe, Baba, you can like freestyle interpret what I'm saying. Yeah? That sounds good. That's how she makes me feel useful. Yes, exactly. Um, but to make sure it's a true freestyle, not memorized, we need a topic for him to incorporate into the rap. 
Um, so can somebody name uh, or say a current, something that's currently in the news that he's gonna have to incorporate into his rap? There's a lot in the news. Romaine lettuce. <laughs> Good one. Nice light topic. I like it. I like it. All right. Okay. So you're going to talk about the parts of the brain. I just made a rap. And romaine. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, you describe the sort of neurobiology, and I'll do the freestyle interpretations that link them to romaine. Correct. Okay. So first we have this area in red, which is the prefrontal cortex. It's involved in what we call executive function, impulse control, uh, reasoning, planning, speech, and problem solving. Yeah, she does the lecture for the setup. That's the part of the brain that says, don't touch that lettuce. See what I'm saying? Yes, I'm a rind nerd, which is why I switched from romaine to iceberg. <laughs> then you have uh, the parietal lobe here, uh, which is involved in your body's movement in space, your physical orientation, uh, math skills, and somatosensory processing. Feeling yeah. the touch. I'm the rapping MC that's always moving my body with my somatosensory. Indeed, mathematically computing the odds of whether eating this shit will make me puke or not. <laughs> then you have the temporal lobe here. Um, the temporal lobe is involved, it contains the hippocampus, which is involved in long-term memory, also perception of color, movement, and uh, understanding speech. Sick human, always looking at brains, finding color and movement indeed. Check it out, brain stuff, I feel ya. That's how I lost the memory of my last experience on Tequila. <laughs> Uh, then you have the occipital lobe, which is involved in processing visual information. So it's things like um, perception of color and objects orientation in space. Kicking the flows, looking at the crowd, using my occipital lobe, thinking maybe that my wife is looking dope, and I might get laid tonight, I hope. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> totally coming from the unconscious. Okay. Then you have the amygdala, where is it? That's involved in emotion and things like fear. Yeah, dope. That's where you think lettuce looks gross. Indeed, I mean, if it's poison, it's serious. That calculates your fear of the listerias. Yeah. Then you have the basal ganglia, which is involved in things like procedural memory, like um, riding a bike. Also, it's where your kind of reward center of the brain in gives you that little release of dopamine when you feel good. Yeah, that's the dopamine it gives us. I don't tend to get that feeling when I eat lettuce. No, indeed, see? Uh, my brain's gonna break. I get a lot of pleasure eating a T-bone stick. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so you can kind of think of the brain like there's these two basic systems that are working in sync. You have these well, you have these areas in red, which are evolutionarily older, like your reptilian brain. They contain things like the amygdala, the striatum, which is involved in reward. And they're sensitive to immediate pleasure or avoidance of pain. Freud would call it like your id impulses, right? You want that like piece of chocolate cake right now. Then you have the more recently evolved prefrontal cortex, um, which humans actually have the largest percentage of prefrontal cortex compared to the rest of the brain than any other animal. And that has to do with kind of thinking about the future consequences of your actions um, and weighing them against your immediate impulses. Freud might call it your, like your superego. So, and then these two, these two brain areas, they're connected. But 
what happens when we see when I see patients who have impulse control disorders is that either you have too much overdrive from these subcortical areas, kind of like the accelerator overriding the brake system, or you have underactivation or damage to the prefrontal cortex, to the brake system, so you can't stop yourself, or the connections between these two systems are faulty. And any one of those types of problems can lead to uh, problems with impulse control. Actually, the way I like to think of this is to tweet or not to tweet. That's correct. <laughs> so as I said, if you have damage to the prefrontal cortex, you can't control yourself. Um, actually, when I first met Baba, uh, he was kind of like one of my impulse control disorder patients in that he presented with caffeine addiction, alcohol overuse, high fat diet, lack of exercise, TV addiction, and what I would call impulsive sexual behavior. <laughs> but- You weren't complaining at the time, did you? <laughs> Not at first. Um, but <laughs> with the proper incentives, I managed to help motivate him to modulate his behavior, and now he's a perfectly well-oiled machine. So it all works yes. out. Now my sexual behavior is highly premeditated. That's right, honey. <laughs> That's right. I'm like, it's time, honey. It's time. Right? It worked. Twice. That's true. Okay. So, anyway, getting back to Baba's brain. I um, Not only did I bring him into my lab to run some cognitive tests on him, but I also actually wanted to look at his brain in real time while he was rapping. So I got him inside my fMRI machine. Yes, I did. Um, so I, what, you're laughing? What? I don't know if it was as sexy as it sounds when you say oh, it. Oh, yeah, it wasn't. No, it's kind of loud in there and tight and, yeah, anyway. Oh, sorry, oh God. That's a Freudian slip if I ever heard one. How did this show go down that direction? Okay, anyway. I had him both do a memorized rap and then do a freestyle rap. And I looked at the difference in brain activation between these two conditions to see if something different was happening in his brain when he's rapping. Because one idea is that it actually is um, allowing you to access some of these unconscious processes, kind of like Freud's free association, where you don't have time to think. And that's when you really get, you know, the first thing that comes to your head comes out without much of a filter. So. Um, the first thing I noticed was two dis rather disturbing holes um, right here in his socks. I don't know if you see that right there. I mean, I thought he was trying to impress me, but. I didn't know you had to take off your shoes in the machine. Everybody knows you should wear good undergarments just in case. Anyway, um, so. At the psych lab. <laughs> At the psych lab. You never know what goes on in there. Um, so these are some actual images of Baba's brain. Uh, and as you can see, see the shape? It's about the same sort of shape there. Okay. Um, yeah, it's kind of small, yeah. <laughs> but it's not the size that matters. It's, <laughs> it's the amount, it's how you use it. It's the amount of connections that you have, exactly. Um, but, but he did. Girth. Oh, honey. I guess it's a late night crowd. Okay, so yes, he had a rather healthy prefrontal cortex, I admit. Um, but this part of the brain right here is actually missing. Um, yeah, and that's the part of the brain that has to do with listening. If you're married, you'd get that. It's completely What'd you say, honey? Completely gone. No, his brain was fine. Um, and this was based on some preliminary data um, showing across a couple of rappers looking at 
difference in brain activation between these two conditions. And what you could find is that in the freestyle condition compared to the memorized condition, you have a unique pattern of brain activation. You have decreased activation here in these areas in blue in the dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex. And if you remember, I spoke about that before, that has to do with working memory, online memory. So because the rap is not memorized, it's completely spontaneous, that part of the brain is turned down. And that part of the brain also has to do with your sense of self, your ego. So you kind of, when you're in these flow states, you, you, people tend to lose their sense of self. Um, it also is a filter system of your brain um, that filters your behavior to make sure it conforms with social norms. Um, but that's turned down, so anything goes. And it allows for creativity because it allows for these novel associations between ideas. Like, you know, when you're a child, actually your prefrontal cortex is not fully developed until about the age of 25. So when you're very young, you know, kids are spontaneously creative. They don't have the filter yet. And so as adults, if you can turn down that part of the brain, can allow you to get to that flow state, be more creative, where things feel like they're flowing through you because your ego is turned down, you lose your sense of time and self and place, and people associate it with very positive emotions. They strive to get to these states. Um, and what's also interesting is another study was done with jazz improvisers doing the same thing. They were in the scanner and they had to just sort of like, you have to sit very still, but they played on a little electric keyboard, um, a memorized piece and then an improvised piece, and the same pattern of brain activation was found in the jazz improvisers in that they had decreased dorsolateral prefrontal cortex activation and also increased medial prefrontal, and these people had that as well. And that has to do with the internal generation of ideas. So it's coming from within, it's perhaps coming up from the unconscious, unfiltered, and it's not just random notes, it's not like anything goes, right? They have to first train consciously, and only the most skilled people who really understand how to perform can then let go and, and be good at, at freestyle. So I'd like to quote the eminent philosopher Marshall Mathers, AKA Eminem. You have to lose yourself in the music, the moment you own it, you better never let it go. You only get one shot, do not miss your chance to blow because opportunity comes once in a lifetime. That's my rap, Eminem, okay. Uh, give it up for her, come on. It's a two way street up here. So bad. Um, but you know, it brings in a lot into question on the idea of free will. Right, because freestyle, like people are often thinking about how much control do I really have over my decisions, over what I say, over what I do, and according to neuroscience in many studies, we think free will is an illusion. We can actually look at your brain activation. It's going studies all the way back to the 80s with Benjamin Libet until now. But we can look at your brain in an fMRI machine and ask you to either go like press the left or the right button at will, at random. And we can predict up to 10 seconds before you're even consciously aware of your intention which button you're gonna, which way you're gonna go with pretty good accuracy. Because there's the brain, it's called the readiness potential. There's like a gearing up um, to make a decision. And at some point you become consciously aware of your intention and then you actually make the decision and do it. Um, and we call this readiness potential. So I like to say that people don't necessarily have free, their unconscious might have free will, but your conscious is like the last to know about it. Anyway, I digress. Um, Bob is gonna just do a little rap demonstration of his thoughts on free will as a little rap interlude. All right. All right. Um, so the, the experiment had me do like a freestyle rap and then a memorized rap and a freestyle rap and a memorized rap and looked at the blood flow and that inspired me to write a song that's got freestyle elements, written elements going back and forth. Um, so this is going to be about the debate over whether we have free will or not. And it's interesting that the majority of philosophers in philosophy of mind think that we do have free will. 
They're compatibilists. But the majority of neuroscientists say that we don't have free will. So uh, if anybody listens to podcasts, this was on the Sam Harris podcast where he debated Dan Dennett over compatibilism versus incompatibilism. That's the inspiration for the rap. Uh, but to show you that it really is freestyle, uh, I need three topics or suggestions of things I'm going to end up riffing on in the lyrics. And then you'll be able to know when I'm referencing your stuff that's improvised. And when I'm doing stuff that's not about your stuff, then it's memorized. So what should I put in it? All right, Michael Cohen deserves it. What else? Education. Education, okay. Michael Cohen, education, what else? North Korea. North Korea. <laughs> Thanks for the easy topics. <laughs> All right. This one's called Can't Stop. Oh, wait, I got to start this. I got a video at the same time. Not yet. One, two, three. There we go. This is gonna reference North Korea, education, and Michael Cohen, and be highly cogent the entire time. Here we go. Listen to this lyric, it isn't freestyle, it's written. I wrote it of my own free will. It was my decision, every intimate constituent. Part of it was deliberate. I considered how to script it and how to stand and deliver it. I was like, yeah, this is gonna hit the boys and the girls and hopefully North Korea doesn't blow up the world. I mean, this is a concept that I be breaking down and breaking and I gotta stop all of those Twitter provocations and this is forethought, but that doesn't mean nothing comes before thought. Take a look at the source of your thoughts you might find the doors blocked if every decision is made in a part of my brain that's invisible to me that's will but with a subliminal origin i'm not thinking it's too free i mean it's freestyle people i'm not done maybe cohen will tell us went down in the meetings with young un kim jong un i mispronounced it made mistakes over the rhythm it's evolutionary i'm introducing randomness into the system but what am i doing up here why am i busting rhymes am i a puppet on a string who could not have done otherwise a slave to my subliminal reptilian amygdala forces with no self-control coming out of my neocortex I don't know but check it out I be rapping niceness I hopefully doesn't get let off the hook for his taxi license I don't know I'm bringing random stuff in from the news is he gonna testify and spill the beans he's got to choose he's free is he free he's got to believe that he's free right you people have to believe that too it's in your molecules I choose words and deeds but not wants or moods freedom is like a muscle, it's only strong when it's used, I can't stop. And neither can you, so let's continue. I'll keep pulling concepts up out of my lyrical menu. Check it out, education is good, that's something I believe. But unlike you, I do not have an education from the Ivy League. No indeed, check it out, that's why I be humbler. I did some university studies where I come from, British Columbia. Yes indeed, check it out, raps I spit it at ya. I got myself a master's in English literature. Yeah, check it out, I'm probably the only one who got a master's because he thought it would make him linguistic better at competing with rappers. Yeah, I get up here when I show off my vocab and they're like, hmm, for a white boy, that was not so bad. See, freestyles, I'll be stepping up and blazing them, but I'll tell you my education was listening to hip hop as a Canadian. I wanted to get up on a stage and kick it for y'all. So it was not Noam Chomsky for me, it was Biggie Smalls and Nas and Taleb Kweli. I wanted to be on these streets in NYC. Yeah, that's the way that I thought I could step up and keep flowing. 
I didn't know the place would be full of rat bags like Michael Cohen. I can't stop believing in the option to choose. I couldn't stop if I wanted. That's down to my molecules. I choose words and deeds, not wants or moods. Freedom is like a muscle. It's only strong when it's used. I could stop. See, I'm just showing you that I could stop. I stopped. Y'all want me to stop? Did I really just call Michael Cohen a rat bag? Hopefully he's just gonna do the right thing from now on. Look, I spent a lot of time training myself to rhyme at the drop of a dime. That's freedom I can claim as mine. Freedom isn't a metaphysical state at the level of atoms. It's a collection of talents that each of us can develop and manage. Freedom evolves. Evolution gave us the building blocks. Is it absolute freedom? Maybe not, but it's more than a digger wasp and more than prefrontal cortex lesion patients living today. I'll take the freedom I've got over the non-freedom of Phineas Gage. Freedom is having a brain that can reject options, detect imposters, dodge sucker punches like boxers. Freedom is having a brain that can navigate obstacles in a continuous exploration of the adjacent possible. A brain that's free enough to identify goals and pursue them and know the reasons why, even if it's prone to illusions. Freedom, if you have that kind of mind and it's at fault, congratulations. You can now be tried as an adult. Free will. Free will is like freestyle. They're both learnable systems that are deterministic deep down. But even if every syllable has a physical cause. Free will is just the belief that I should still get some applause. This is, we're going to go to the breakout session, and I don't want to, there's just some differences in brains between comedy and stuff, but if we can talk about it after, it's fine, it's a big deal. Okay, so what I just wanted to say is, yeah, finally, is that it's not just during these kind of creative flow states where you get that pattern of brain activation, where you lose your sense of Place. It could also be during a physical activity, like you know, playing tennis, right? If you and if you stop to consciously think about it, you actually turn your prefrontal cortex on. You mess up your performance. Like if you're playing tennis, you're like, oh, what angle exactly should I hit the ball? You're going to mess it up. So a lot of it is about letting go, letting your body and your mind um, be free, and that's when you can be the most creative. Um, and we see the same pattern of brain activation um, in certain types of hypnosis, certain during certain types of meditation, during daydreaming, um, and also during REM sleep. When you're sleeping, you actually decrease activation of your prefrontal cortex, and it increases limbic activation, and anything goes. So again, you can make novel associations between ideas, is what I kind of think of as creativity, um, divergent thinking. And people strive to get to these states. It has to do with kind of a, a loss of focus, um, very positive emotions. And so part of my research is looking at, is there a neural signature of creativity that cuts across different art forms? So if we see it in sort of freestyle rap and jazz improv, what about you know during painting, during theater improv, comedy improv, during dance improv? And if we can identify this neural signature of creativity and improvisation, can we help people get there more easily and perhaps use it as a way, uh, as a sort of therapeutic um, technique because it helps people access these unconscious thoughts, desires, and emotions that might have been suppressed by the prefrontal cortex. So, I'm going to leave it at that, and then we can go into our little breakout sessions, and then we can regroup, and then we'll take some questions and wrap it up after that. So you want to lead this little this breakout session? Yeah, so the, the first yeah. breakout session, you had the opportunity to talk about how you use creativity uh, in your jobs, and for this one, we're going to try to put it into practice. Um, I recently completed an eight-week workshop on freestyle rap and creativity with the group Freestyle Love Supreme, which is about to do a Broadway run with Lin-Manuel Miranda and a lot of the Hamilton people. Freestyle Love Supreme was their first project before Hamilton, and me and a group of 20 people 
uh, just spent sort of two and a half hours a week for the last eight weeks learning about the tricks of freestyle, and I want to try to teach a few of them to the group here. I am proposing that you will all kick freestyle raps in this breakout. Uh, now, before you freak, um, what I'm going to do is just distill the eight weeks into four simple activities that anybody can do that we'll just do them in sequence. The first one's dead simple and they increase in complexity, so I want to just demonstrate them to you with the help of my lovely assistant. Um, oh, I'm involved. Oh yeah, just, oh. To, just to show them how it works. I didn't know about this, okay. Okay, so, I didn't make a slide for this, so use your hippocampuses to remember it. Uh, uh, the first one is gonna be gibberish rap. So it's easy, you play a beat and you say any syllables at all and try to make them hit the beat. That's complicated, but you could also be like, any beat, any combination of syllables, just try to feel it and get it to work. So can I have a, yeah, you just give me a gibberish rap over this beat. I'll like to reuse my PhD, I'm doing this. Okay, here we go. Three, four. Gibberish, Boom! Just like that. Who in this room could not pull that off, okay? Round one is gibberish rap. You're gonna be in groups of seven or eight. You can just do it for two bars, real simple like she did, okay? That's the first round. The second round is gibberish rap with a word at the end of it. This is my lecture. So any two words that rhyme, gibberish leads up to them. They don't have to, it doesn't have to mean anything. Three, four. There we go. Maybe baby. It was even cogent. A story is emerging. Okay. The next one is to say a really simple line with really simple rhymes at the end of it. Over it. Doesn't have to sound like rap, nothing like that. It could be so. Here I hold this mic in my hand. Up on this stage is where I stand. Any two simple words. Uh -huh. Two lines is not hard. You think of the rhymes and then something, 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 you rhyme, and something, 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 okay. you rhyme. Yeah. When I first met this guy, I wasn't thinking about a baby, but after a while, I thought, well, maybe. Boom, there we go. Not precisely on the beat, but it was what we're going for. All right. Um, and then a fun game you can play if you get good at this one, and this is called the non-rhyme game. So what you do is just like the last one, only the other person in your group that's next to you steals the last word and says something different. So here's a challenge I'm gonna throw you, okay? I'll say a really obvious setup, and then you say not the rhyme that's supposed to go with the setup, okay. another word that's linguistically related but isn't the word, okay? And then I do it twice for both ends? No, just, just try finishing my sentence. Okay, you guys are gonna play this game and it's super fun, ready? Check it out, yeah. When it comes to fruit, I say each to each. When I go to Georgia, I eat a... Apple. Yes! <laughs> Let's do another one. Okay. Check it out. In the water, it's a shark. I hate them because I'm afraid of the... Light. Boom. <laughs> Just like that, okay? So then you get funny stuff out of the twists at the end of the lines, and it's obvious to everyone where you're going. If you get through those four steps, have the last five minutes of our 15 to 20 minute breakout be kicking a cipher. Do like take turns, but remember two bars, so you can think of what you're going to say because you're going around in a circle. Is there any questions about this process that we're about to get creative with? 
Okay, everyone in here, let's assume, is a first-timer, and if you're not a first-timer, then you're the person in the group that's going to help and be supportive and coach the other people that are first-timers. But remember, everyone can kick gibberish, and everyone can kick gibberish leading up to a word. If that's as far as you get, that's as far as you get. But I want to not focus on how amazing your freestyles end up sounding in our 15-minute breakout. I want you to also think about where it fails and why. And then at the end, we'll have a Q&A, and your questions from each group will be generated by what was really hard in this extremely difficult first-time task. See, we weren't just picking on Walter at the beginning. <laughs> you are all guinea pigs now. Um, any questions about the process, the sequence? Okay, so we're doing 15 or 20. The beat will be playing in the background. Groups of seven or eight, you get to form them using your social skills right now. And your free will. And then at the end, we'll do a Q&A and direct all of your stuff to the scientist. All questions will be answered. All right, here we go. You want to open it up to... Okay. So what's the Q&A theme? Well, I think that we should... I want to have this like a discussion and we answer your questions. So it could be anything about... First of all, if you have any questions from the presentation about your brain or I can answer anything related to brain. Yeah. Oh, we have already have a question back there. Or the creative process. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. So creativity is not just about the arts. It can be like as a scientist, if I'm writing up a paper, you have to be very creative about how you put together the details, how you analyze the data and interpret the data. Um, and it does involve a lot of creativity, which is really just thinking outside the box. So my advice has been when you're really trying to get outside of your head or you know think in a new way, is actually do the opposite of what you might think. You might think, okay, think harder about it, sit there, you know, contemplate, whatever. What you should do is, I mean, take in all the information and then walk away, go do something else. Go for a walk, try to forget about it because consciousness has a very limited capacity. When you're consciously processing things, you can only do a certain number of variables. But your unconscious is virtually limitless in terms of the amount of variables that it can process at any given time. That's why when people often say they have a moment of insight, that's because they actually took in all the information, let it go, let the unconscious work on it. It's called deliberation without attention. And there's been lots of studies which look at this. And then actually the answer bubbles up into your consciousness. So my advice is always go for a walk, do something else, you know, do a yoga class. Whatever it is that you do to relax and turn off your brain is actually the best way to be creative in anything, like whether it's something technical or if you're an artist. Do you have anything to add to that? Oh, Bob is going to <laughs> yeah, huh. She's got the science kicking mad facts. She just gave me a justification for my naps. Yeah, but I ain't trying to be a hater. As a scientist, you do not want a reputation for being creative with data. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, right over there. Uh, that exercise was a lot of fun, by the way. Uh, it That's a good question, I like it. So, the thing about alcohol is that it, it does actually um, activate sort of inhibitory neurons in your brain like the GABA network. It, it down-regulates activation of the prefrontal cortex, which is that filter system of the brain. So when they say like in vino veritas, you know, you speak the truth when you're drinking, it does turn down your inhibition. And so a little bit of alcohol can be 
can loosen you up, right? Can allow you to kind of, because basically when we see people who are suppressing either emotions or thoughts or memories, you actually see increased activation of the prefrontal cortex. It kind of works to downregulate the amygdala, the hippocampus. But when you decrease activation, it allows you to kind of open up. But the problem is it, it's, there's sort of an optimal level, just like there's an optimal level of arousal. Like it's good to be a little anxious before a talk, but not too anxious because then you mess up your performance. So a little alcohol is okay. But once you get to a sort of tipping point, then it becomes to sort of starts to mess you up. So you might be more open and free, but you know you might not be able to come up with the best rap lyrics because it also slows down other mental processes at the same time. So it can be detrimental. And that's like with other drugs as well. Like a lot of people say, you know, like taking psychedelics and you're more creative. Well. You know, maybe in like these, you know, people are like microdosing, like tiny, tiny doses, but actually you can, it messes up other things, like in your perception. So the best thing is if you can achieve these states without the influence of the drugs, like whether it's meditation or getting these flow states, so that you can get all the benefits without any of the negative aspects to it. I'll rephrase it like this because I know that y'all are nerves. Alcohol and performance is a parabolic curve, okay? You can plot it on a graph. It does not exactly help me when I'm kicking these raps, can't you see? Sometimes I feel disinhibited. I guess it helps me a lot when producing gibberish. Yeah, that's the way that I rock the bomb raps. Face, floor, contact. <laughs> over here, and then we'll do over there. Yeah. 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 So like in the modern world, you know, it's really people want you to be creative on demand, which is very difficult to do. And it's about getting you into that mindset. Right. But the brain is kind of like a muscle. So there's certain neural networks. If you that's basically what learning is. If you start to activate it and keep activating it over time, you practice, and you practice, it becomes easier to access that brain state. So if I use like freestyle rap as an example, it's very difficult to get into that brain state. I'm sure at first when you started freestyling it was really difficult, but over time, now we could just be doing anything. I'll be like, oh, like freestyle about that. And he can just come up with something, right? He can switch into it right away. And so I think the more you practice the skill outside of the sort of work environment um, and sort of train your brain to get into that space where it can kind of easily let go or like kind of, de I would say deactivate your prefrontal cortex just for a moment, um, it'll become easier to get there on demand. But it's not always, you know, it's not always possible. And so, um, and also to stay in those flow states, you know, that's another thing that people strive, like to get into that kind of flow and, and, and stay there for longer. Because we often get distracted and we lose it. So I think with practice, um, you'll be, it'll be easier for you to call it upon demand. So how do you make it in business and make it happen? Go home and practice your freestyle rapping. She's like, take a walk outside and shit. You're like, we work in a high pressure environment. <laughs> See what I'm saying? We don't have the brainlessness. Every creative moment has to be instantaneous. Okay, she already said the way that you can break it open. Go to work and start fucking microdosing. 
<laughs> no, no. I don't I don't give that advice. Not at all. Just get in the microdosing state of mind. Okay, over here. Thank you. I actually first heard about you last year because you were on the podcast on Tim Hortons. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. yeah. Um, you, talk, you showed us a graph about perception earlier, and I'm wondering, have there been studies done over time when like, the truth that we held felt like, so evident and something that we perceive to be so true changed? Mm -hmm. And then were there measures to see like, how that particular topic changed in our measure of perception? Yeah. That's a really, I wish we had all that information at our fingertips. Um, it's pretty complex. So beliefs, or what we call like schemas that are really firmly held, um, are often, we often held on to them for a lot of unconscious reasons that we can't even grasp why. So they're very fir firmly held. So even when you're given um, evidence to the contrary, we find ways to argue against that. So it's actually very difficult to change. It's different than perception. Perception is just basic sensory processing and then how our brain immediately interprets it. Beliefs are different parts of the brain. They're harder to change. Now, I don't think, there's no studies that I know of offhand where we've actually looked at what happens in the brain when a belief changes. I don't know if you've ever cross, come across any of that. He's done some, he, he did a whole show on consciousness. I was an advisor for it. Tribal affiliation. Tribal affiliation. Yeah, like the belief is associated with my group believes this right and the changing of my mind will end up causing me to have a rift with my group so it's sort of identity protective yeah but not what happens in the brain when that happens so basically i mean group that's one interesting one that actually where you identify as a group it changes depending on the context so like for instance like in america i'm like oh i'm an i'm a new yorker like i come from the northeast and those people are from the south but then like when i was living in the uk it was like oh no we're like all american and we're like part of the same team so like how you identify it in a sense can change in a belief system but anyway the neural basis of it i can't quite say that we've identified i think that. actually there's some stuff in sam harris's book about that about uh, the moral landscape and he's basically arguing that the brain holds beliefs in the same kind of category that it holds facts and, mm -hmm. that it, and that it doesn't think of values and facts or abstractions and facts as different. So, well, the idea is that beliefs are inherently, they, uh, beliefs are subjective, but in our brain, we're processing them as if they are truths, as if they are not subjective but objective. And that's why they're very difficult to change. But you're supposed to wrap your answer. What's up with that? <laughs> I kick the rhymes and nothing but witticisms, and still my wife heaps upon me criticism. Check it out. <laughs> I do it easily. Every single second I change my freaking beliefs, see? And so do you, your brain's enhanced. You were skeptical, and then you gave me a chance. She's like, I'm from Oxford, got a PhD. Picture me with a white Canadian science rapper trying to be Jay-Z. <laughs> <laughs> and yet here we are. It's true, my ex was a corporate lawyer, okay. <laughs> she has I, a type. I kid you not, here, right here, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so what they find is that, so emotion is, is sort of triggered by these subcortical evolutionary older parts of the brain, like the amygdala, also parts of the prefrontal cortex, but in, in general, the prefrontal cortex, when it's turned on, like when we look at people who are anxious, or um, people like with obsessive compulsive disorder, or rumination, 
you actually see increased activation in the prefrontal cortex. And that's when we're thinking about the future and ourselves and all this, we're anxiety. And when you get into those flow states, it actually turns down that system. So it tends to be associated with very positive emotions. So if once you get into that place, usually the negative feelings kind of resolve. That's why people like strive to get there. So it might be harder to get to that state if you are in a negative emotional state because that means you're having activation of that prefrontal cortex, higher activation than normal, and it's harder to let go. But once you do, usually you get positive. I mean, you guys all did that this experiment now where you got into the tried to get into that state and it seems to be associated with positive. I mean, there was also social aspects as well, which you know increased the positivity. But so I think that inherently people tend to so it tends to trigger positive emotions. Yeah, it turns off the front of the brain like it should. Also the reason why alcohol feels good. Yeah, I was like, kick some gibberish and kick the shit. It means you had to try to get disinhibited, but also why you might've felt stage fright. Cause you're like, even gibberish, I can't quite say right. And that's why you felt like the protagonist in a movie. But did you actually do some gibberish, Susie? Where is she? <laughs> oh, she left. Oh, she was yeah. Oh, oh, nice oh, we need you calling you out. Yes, okay. Good. That's what you get for coming on stage. <laughs> yeah, over here. Yeah, uh, you showed the wave whenever you were talking about the flow states early in, the, in your talk. And will you talk a little bit about brain waves? Because I've read that beta waves are associated with the flow state. So is, is that kind of wave activity what like a beta wave is? So, okay, so the wave in the crowd has nothing to do with brain waves. It just was, yeah, it was just an example of, right, okay. <laughs> but, you know, that was an example of what, um, the thing I was talking about with neurons is just groups of neurons firing together. That's different than um, looking at what your brain waves, which is measured with, we measure with things like EEG or MEG, um, which is basically looking at like states of activation across different parts of the brain, not individual neurons. And it's different than fMRI. fMRI is when we're looking, um, like functional magnetic resonance imaging, which is a lot in the media, which is like this part of the brain lights up when we think of this or that. It's not really lighting up, it's just really looking at blood flow to different parts of the brain as a proxy, but that's where the neurons are firing. But with these different states like alpha, beta, gamma, delta, um, they're, they're looking across um, the brain at sort of levels of activation, I guess you can call it, um, and they have to do with different states of wakefulness and sleep. So like when you're in a deep sleep, you have slower brain activation and you're in like delta waves or you know, when you're wide awake, it's like alpha and beta. So um, what was your question again? Is creativity associated with? Beta waves as a flow state, are those associated as high um, I'm just going my mind through the data. I think that you're correct. There are certain um, correlations between when people are in those states and getting to a certain kind of level of brain activation across the brain. Like, I can't remember if it was beta or not, but if you said that that was in the study, then it was. But I know that there was a certain type of brain activation that you're in. But I do, but I am skeptical, this is my caveat, of there's some devices out there that say like, oh, you know, we can measure your brain activation and that tells you when you're in this or that state. Um, I'm very skeptical of those things. So when we look at EEG, we have like 64 different channels and they have to, it's conducted, they're wet, you know, basically to get true levels of brain activation. When you're looking at these devices that have one or two electrodes here or there, you're not really getting at any real, you're mostly getting at muscle movement. And so when it says it can kind of like read your brain waves and tell you when you're in this or that state, I would be very skeptical of those kinds of devices. Um, anyway, that's my little caveat.
Yeah, scientifically, every time she speaks dopeness, she is skeptical of muse and emotive. Yeah, check it out. I am never helpless. Fuck beta waves. All my waves are alphas. <laughs> Did you have a question? Or no, no, you were. Oh, you were giving him. <laughs> okay, right here. Yeah. Um, I guess this is a question for both of you. Um, I've, uh, I've performed uh, either performing or practicing performing. There are good performances and other times where your brain betrays you, and even though you know you know it, nothing comes out. It's just blank, it's empty in there. What is happening? <laughs> You mean like when you lose like what you're gonna say or your lines no, or something you, like when that? When you choke. Oh, when you choke, okay. So basically what's happening there is when you actually become too self-conscious or too self-aware, what are they thinking? Oh my God, how am I sounding? How am I doing? Whatever. You're actually turning on, you're engaging that prefrontal cortex. And it's distracting because you're having all these other thoughts interject. Because basically when you're trained, when you're a trained performer or an athlete, the whole point is your body knows what to do and you have to let it do what it knows how to do. And the moment you start, your consciousness starts interjecting, you mess up the system, you mess up the flow. And that's when you can choke, you can forget what you're supposed to do or say, um, when you jump out of that flow state. So the whole idea is if performing, just trust that your body or your brain knows what it's gonna do and let go. When I give a lecture, like I plan what I'm gonna say, but then I just talk. Like I don't even, if I start thinking about what am I gonna say next, whatever, it will totally mess it up. So I trust that my brain has the information in there, it knows what to say, and it just comes out. But yeah, that's basically, don't be self-aware is the thing, if, as much as you can. Yeah, I spent a lot of time trying to learn how to rap, but I will confess the first time I did it, I was whack. I really wanted to learn this and find ways to say lyrics. Basically, that is finding ways to pivot. See what I'm saying? The fall still happened, but in that space, you can find ways not to fall on your face. It's kind of like walking. Face plant. This froze. <laughs> oh, you're, you're demonstrating freezing and doing Say poorly? stuff I can't. I don't know. That's great. That's great. We'll take a few more questions and we'll wrap up. Oh, back here. Yeah. More awkward than I pictured it. <laughs> it's hard to fake awkwardness. It just is awkward. OK. <laughs> You're who used to out. say? You're... So my college professor. Okay. Syndrome. Oh, nice one. Oh, God. And so he trained us to believe that you're not supposed to do that, right? You're supposed to read the behavior and get in line and check ourselves. Mm -hmm. So, how do we have free flowing thought while manage, uh, managing ourselves in a perpetual modern society right. where you know, we're not supposed to blurt that out, right? That's societal belief and incorrect yeah. and all that, right? You, you know, responded to me as a resistant man. Mm -hmm. Well, so we have, there's the rules of society, of social engagement, and so we've evolved these prefrontal cortices because it's adaptive to withhold responding, like your immediate response. Like, my daughter's in kindergarten now, and you know, the teacher's like, well, she calls out, whatever, because she knows the answer. It's like, she doesn't have a fully formed prefrontal cortex. It's very hard for her to like, you know, right? You know, it's like, come on, give her a break. She's like, you know, just turned five like a week ago. Anyway, so. We, we start out like we don't have a lot of impulse control. We develop it over time and it's adaptive. But as opposed to somebody who has prefrontal cortex damage, like I see patients who have pretty severe, they've gotten in car accidents or had head traumas, um, they can't control their impulses. They don't have the option. It's just they're like a child, you know? They're just immediate or their attention is all over the place. We have the ability to control it, but we also have the ability to let it go at will. 
So that's the key. It's like you're considered to have an impulse control disorder if you don't know when it's appropriate to do it and not. You know, when you know, okay, I'm in this social situation, I know I have to raise my hand, society says that, I can do it, but I also can let it go when I want to. As long as it's under control, then, you know, I think it's adaptive and it's good to get into those states. I think I have patients where they can't get out of that state and that's also problematic. So we can do both. We, we are very, you know, our brains are very robust. She just revealed the definitive peak of awkwardness. Us at our daughter's parent-teacher conferences. Yeah, <laughs> it's just the basics. She's not doing bad, here's the neuroscientific explanation. Ah, poor freaking teacher. But that's okay because she does know the research. And I know we all got stuff to say, but you can train your brain when to open the floodgates. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> we, uh... We'll take maybe one, two more questions and then we'll go. Okay, back here. Right. So I don't think, it's really hard, there hasn't really been studies about like the amount of information, but all I can say is that um, the most novel, have the greatest chance of coming up with the most novel explanation, interpretation, or whatever it may be, is to gather as much information as possible. Um, because the more information you have, the more your brain has to work on to come up with something novel. Um, and so I, I would say, and this isn't based on research, but just to understand the brain, the more information, and it will, like, just like forgetting is adaptive. You know, if we had to, if we had to remember every little thing, it would be really maladaptive. It would interfere with us. So our brain automatically forgets. That's part of sleep. It's like clearing out the system. So it can't hurt to take in as much information. Your brain will dump out most of it anyway, um, but it will increase your chances of coming up with something novel. Yeah, that's why I always really try to try to pay attention because you might stumble on some novel connection. See, that's the way that I rock it obnoxious. Most of my lyrics are coming straight out of my subconscious. Ah, it's the burden I have to carry. You know what's subconscious? Your whole vocabulary. Ooh, I just made a point that's really intelligent. Check it out. Think of the word elephant. Where was that word before I said that? It was encoded in your neural network. Um, <laughs> we'll do one last question and then we'll wrap up. Okay, right here. Yeah. Um, so we're getting a little bit closer. So basically there are studies now which, um, so I can be, it's very individualized. So if I look, if I take you and put you in a scanner and give you a number of trials and show you different images, like an image of a cat, and then I see exactly what your neural signature is for when you're looking at a cat, or, and then a house, and then a dog, whatever, or I show you different films and I see what your brain looks like. Then what we can do is put you in the scanner and tell you just imagine any one of these like 10 things and I can just look at your brain activation once I've encoded it and know what it correlates to, and then they can do, with pretty good accuracy, can tell what you're thinking. There's even studies with people who are in um, what we call persistent vegetative states or in a coma, um, where they're otherwise completely unresponsive. And it's not all patients, but there were a handful that were found that you just say to them, 
think of a house or think of, think of walking through your house or think of playing a game of tennis. And we know what the neural signature of those two different things looks like in the average brain. And you tell these comatose patients, you put them in a scanner to think of one or the other and they could reliably do it. Not all of them, there were a couple that could. It means they were conscious inside. And then you can tie it to like think of a house for the answer yes and think of playing tennis for no and you can actually start to communicate with them via their brain activation. So, so the answer is we're getting closer but the problem is that there's so many millions of thoughts that you would have to map out each one to really just look at a brain and see what it's thinking. So we're very far away from that. We can do it in these very limited contexts, but if I just took your brain and put you in a scanner, I would have no idea what you're thinking about unless I like mapped it out you know, image by image. So uh, we're pretty far away from that at this point. So she can put you inside a scanner and take a look, but you know who can predict your behavior? Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> watch out for the media. Dating her is kind of like dating Wikipedia. <laughs> She's like, this shit's all Coracle. I'm like, wow, I'm hooked up with the Delphic Oracle. Ah, but check it, it's my diction. It's creepy the way she's so good at behavioralistic predictions. Ah. <laughs> I was gonna say science fiction. Science know. fiction. Yeah. That too. Uh, so give it up for Heather Boleyn on the, on the Q&A. Oh yeah, we'll do it. Okay, we're, we're nearly cleared out of here. We're almost at our time, but we have one encore for you. Make some noise if you want to hear Heather kick the last rap of the night. All right. All right, Bongo put me up to this. The only rap I know, because I'm, like, it's the Beastie Boys, whatever. Okay, so it's to the Beastie Boys, Paul Revere. Oh, God, I don't even remember. I haven't done this since before. I'll fill it in Okay, if you will. Here's a little um, story, right? Yeah, okay, here we go. Okay. Now, here's a little story I got to tell about a prefrontal cortex that started to swell. It started way back in history on the hominid branch of a family tree. Had a little homo habilis tribe making some tools, tanning some hides, wandering across the land, kicking up sand, looking for mates. Cause they're in demand. One lonely Lucy IB. All by myself without nobody. The sun is beating down on my sagittal crest. Stone Age man will give, give me, me no rest. rest. I'm a fly girl, I can handle y'all. Looking for a guy, no Neanderthal. Cortex swelling with executive function. Impulses can't tell me nothing. Guys come and go, guys come and go. I choose guys with my frontal lobe. I want a brainy baby, I'm a rational actor, but still somehow I ended up with a rapper. What? Make some noise for Heather, ladies and gentlemen. Big round of applause for Ivy for putting this on. And uh, we're, we'll hang out for a bit if you want to say hello. Oh yeah, we have, yeah. I'm gonna announce this. Yeah. Um, so over the years, uh, has anybody seen one of my shows at the Soho Playhouse? Yes, a few people in the crowd have. Over the last seven years, I have had six off-Broadway productions of hip-hop theater shows about science. It's like a residency at the Soho Playhouse. It was on before Hamilton. It hasn't quite gotten <laughs> as big yet. Uh, but this is going to catch on. So this is about to launch at the Soho Playhouse. It's kind of like an encore series of the Rap Guide to Evolution, the Rap Guide to Consciousness, and the Rap Guide to Climate Chaos. Uh, it starts on December the 27th. Please come check it out if you're up for a nerdy but highly entertaining night uh, off-Broadway. Yeah, thank you All right, guys. that's yeah, it. We're done. You. Thank you very much. That's our show for this week. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the social university. We are the grad school for life. 
and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. Check us out at ivy.com for life-changing advice and gatherings, and the foremost thought leaders shaping our world today. For more information about the Ivy community, and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us via membership at ivy.com. Dream big and stay inspired.